Chapter Thirteen, Part Two of How I Found Livingston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anton Epp. How I Found Livingston: Travels, Adventures, and Discoveries in Central Africa, Including Four Months' Residence with Doctor Livingston. By Sir Henry M. Stanley. Chapter Thirteen, Part Two. Our cruise on the Lake Tanganyika, exploration of the north end of the lake, the Rusizi is discovered to enter into the lake, return to Ujiji. After passing the low headland of Kisunwe, formed by the Kisunwe River, we came in view of Murembwe Cape, distant about four or five miles, the intervening ground being low land, a sand and pebbly beach. Close to the beach are scores of villages, while the crowded shore indicates the populousness of the place beyond. About halfway between Cape Kisunwe and Murembwe is a cluster of villages called Bikari, which has a Mutwari who is in the habit of taking Honga. As we were rendered unable to cope for any length of time with any mischievously inclined community, all villages having a bad reputation with the Wajiji were avoided by us. But even the Wajiji guides were sometimes mistaken and led us more than once into dangerous places. The guides evidently had no objections to halt at Bikari, as it was the second camp from Mukungu, because with them a halt in the cool shade of plantains was infinitely preferable to sitting like carved pieces of wood in a cranky canoe. But before they stated their objections and preferences, the Bikari people called to us in a loud voice to come ashore, threatening us with the vengeance of the great Wami if we did not halt. As the voices were anything but siren-like, we obstinately refused to accede to the request. Finding threats of no avail, they had recourse to stones, and, accordingly, flung them at us in a most hearty manner. As one of them came within a foot of my arm, I suggested that a bullet be sent in return in close proximity to their feet. But Livingston, though he said nothing, yet showed plainly enough that he did not quite approve of this. As these demonstrations of hostility were anything but welcome, and as we saw signs of it almost every time we came opposite a village, we kept on our way until we came to Murwembwe Point, which, being a delta of a river of the same name, as well as protected by a breadth of thorny jungle, spiky cane, and a thick growth of reed and papyrus, from which the boldest Murundi might well shrink, especially if he called to mind that beyond this inhospitable swamp were the guns of the strangers his like had so rudely challenged. We drew our canoe ashore here, and— on a limited area of clean sand, Faraji, our rough and ready cook, lit his fire, and manufactured for us a supply of most delicious mocha coffee. Despite the dangers which still beset us, we were quite happy, and seasoned our meal with a little moral philosophy, which lifted us unconsciously into infinitely superior beings to the pagans by whom we were surrounded, upon whom we now looked down, under the influence of mocha coffee and moral philosophy, with calm contempt not unmixed with a certain amount of compassion. The doctor related some experiences he had had among the people of similar disposition, but did not fail to ascribe them, with the wisdom of a man of ripe experience, to the unwise conduct of the Arabs and half-castes. In this opinion I unreservedly concur. From Murembwe Point, having finished our coffee and ended our discourse on ethics, we proceeded on our voyage steering for Cape Sinteki, which, though it was eight or ten miles away, we hoped to make before dark. The Wangwana pulled with right good will, but ten hours went by, and the night was drawing near, 
and we were still far from Santeki. As it was a fine moonlit night, and we were fully alive to the dangerous position in which we might find ourselves, they consented to pull an hour or two more. About one p.m. we pulled in shore for a deserted spot, a clean shelf of sand, about thirty feet long by ten deep, from which a clay bank rose about ten or twelve feet above, while on each side there were masses of disintegrating rock. Here we thought that by preserving some degree of silence we might escape observation, and consequent annoyance for a few hours, when, being rested, we might continue our journey. Our kettle was boiling for tea, and the men had built a little fire for themselves, and had filled their black earthen pot with water for porridge, when our outlooks perceived dark forms creeping towards our bivouac. Being hailed, they at once came forward and saluted us with the native wake. Our guides explained that we were Wangwana, and intended to camp until morning, when, if they had anything to sell, we should be glad to trade with them. They said they were rejoiced to hear this, and after they had exchanged a few words more, during which time we observed that they were taking mental notes of the camp, they went away. Upon leaving, they promised to return in the morning with food, and make friends with us. While drinking our tea, the lookouts warned us of the approach of a second party, which went through the same process of saluting and observing as the first had done. These also went away, over-exuberant, as I thought, and were shortly succeeded by a third party, who came and went as the others had. From all this we inferred that the news was spreading rapidly through the villages about, and we noticed two canoes passing backwards and forwards with rather more haste than we deemed usual or necessary. We had good cause to be suspicious. It is not customary for people, at least between Ujiji and Zanzibar, to be about visiting and saluting after dark, under any pretense. It is not permitted to persons to prowl about camp after dark without being shot at, and this going backward and forward, this ostentatious exuberance of joy at the arrival of a small party of Wagwama, which in many parts of Urundi would be regarded as a very common event, was altogether very suspicious. While the doctor and I were arriving at the conclusion that these movements were preliminary to, or significant of, hostility, a fourth body, very boisterous and loud, came and visited us. Our supper had been by this time dispatched, and we thought it high time to act. The fourth party having gone with extravagant manifestations of delight, the men were hurried into the canoe, and, when all were seated, and the lookouts embarked, we quietly pushed off, but not a moment too soon. As the canoe was gliding from the darkened light that surrounded us, I called the doctor's attention to several dark forms, some of whom were crouching behind the rocks on our right, and others scrambling over them to obtain good or better positions. At the same time, people were approaching from the left of our position, in the same suspicious way, and directly a voice hailed us from the top of the clay bank overhanging the sandy shelf where we had lately been resting. Neatly done, cried the doctor, as we were shooting through the water, leaving the discomfited would-be robbers behind us. Here again my hand was stayed from planting a couple of good shots, as a warning to them in the future, for molesting strangers, by the more presence of the doctor, who, as I thought, if it were actually necessary, would not hesitate to give the word. After pulling six hours more, during which we had rounded Cape Sentekei, we stopped at the small fishing village of Mugueo, where we were permitted to sleep unmolested. At dawn we continued our journey, and about eight a.m. arrived at the village of the friendly Mutwari of Magala. We had pulled for eighteen hours at a stretch, which at the rate of two miles and a half per hour would make forty-five miles. Taking bearings from our camp at Cape Magala, 
one of the most prominent points in travelling north from Ujiji, we found that the large island of Muzimu, which had been in sight ever since rounding Cape Bangwe near Ujiji Bunder, bore about south-southwest, and that the western shore had considerably approached to the eastern, the breadth of the lake being at this point about eight or ten miles. We had a good view of the western highlands, which seemed to be of an average height, about three thousand feet above the lake. Luhanga Peak, rising a little to the north of west from Magala, might be about five hundred feet higher, and Sumburizi, a little north of Luhanga, where lived Imruta, Sultan of Uvira, the country opposite to this part of Urundi, about three hundred feet higher than the neighboring heights. Northward from Magala Cape, the lake streamed away between two chains of mountains, both meeting in a point about thirty miles north of us. The Warundi of Magala were very civil and profound starers. They flocked around the tent door and most pertinaciously gazed on us, as if we were subjects of the most intense interest, but liable to sudden and eternal departure. The Mutwari came to see us late in the afternoon, dressed with great pomp. He turned out to be a boy whom I had noticed in the crowd of gazers, for his good looks and fine teeth which he showed, being addicted to laughing continually. There was no mistaking him, though he was now decorated with many ivory ornaments, with necklaces, and with heavy brass bracelets and iron wire anklets. Our admiration of him was reciprocated, and in return for our two dotai of cloth and a fundo of samsam, he gave a fine, fat, and broad-tailed sheep and a pot of milk. In our condition both were extremely acceptable. At Magala we heard of a war raging between Mukamba, for whose country we were bound, and Warumshanya, a sultan of an adjoining district, and we were advised that, unless we intended to assist one of these chiefs against the other, it would be better for us to return. But as we had started to solve the problem of the Rusizi River, such considerations had no weight with us. On the eighth morning from leaving Ujiji, we bade farewell to the hospitable people of Magala, and set off for Mukamba's country, which was in view. Soon after passing the boundary between Urundi proper and what is known as Usigi, a storm from the southwest arose, and the fearful yawing of our canoe into the wave trough warned us from proceeding further. So we turned her head for Kasuka village, about four miles north, where Mugiri in Usigi begins. At Kasuka, a Maguana living with Makumba came to see us, and gave us details of the war between Makamba and Waruma Shayana, from which it seemed that these two chiefs were continually at loggerheads. It is a tame way of fighting, after all. One chief makes a raid into the other's country, and succeeds in making off with a herd of cattle, killing one or two men who have been surprised. Weeks or months elapse before the other retaliates, and effects a capture in a similar way, and then a balance is struck in which neither is the gainer. Seldom do they attack each other with courage and hearty good will, the constitution of the African being decidedly against any such energetic warfare. This Mguana, further, upon being questioned, gave us information far more interesting, viz. about the Rusizi. He told us positively, with the air of a man who knew all about it, and as if anybody who doubted him might well be set down as an egregious ass that the Rusizi River flowed out of the lake, away to Suna's Mitisa's country. Where else could it flow to, he asked. The doctor was inclined to believe it, or, perhaps, he was more inclined to let it rest as stated until our own eyes should confirm it. I was more inclined to doubt, as I told the doctor. First, it was too good to be true, 
second the fellow was too enthusiastic upon a subject that could not possibly interest him his barakalas and inshallahs were far too fervid his answers too much in accordance with our wishes the doctor laid great stress on the report of a maguana he met far south who stated that the grandfather or father of ramanika present king of caragua had thought of excavating the bed of the katanguli river in order that his canoes might go to ujiji to open a trade from this i imagine coinciding as it did with his often expressed and present firm belief that the waters of the tanganyika had an outlet somewhere the doctor was partial to the report of the Muguana, but as we proceed we shall see how all this will end on the ninth morning from ujiji about two hours after sunrise we passed the broad delta of the mugiri a river which gives its name also to the district on the eastern shore ruled over by mukamba we had come directly opposite the most southern of its three mouths when we found quite a difference in the color of the water an almost straight line drawn east and west from the mouth would serve well to mark off the difference that existed between the waters on the south side was pure water of a light green on the north side it was muddy and a current could be distinctly seen flowing north soon after passing the first mouth we came to a second and then a third mouth each only a few yards broad but each discharging sufficient water to permit our following the line of the currents several rods north beyond the respective mouths beyond the third mouth of the mugiri a bend disclosed itself with groups of villages beyond on its bank these were mukambas and in one of them lived mukamba the chief the natives had never yet seen a white man and of course as soon as we landed we were surrounded by a large concourse all armed with long spears the only weapon visible amongst them save a club stick and here and there a hatchet we were shown into a hut which the doctor and i shared between us what followed on that day i have but a dim recollection having been struck down by fever the first since leaving umyamjabe i dimly recollect trying to make out what age mukamba might be and noting that he was good-looking withal and kindly disposed towards us and during the intervals of agony and unconsciousness i saw or fancied i saw livingstone's form moving towards me and felt or fancied i felt livingstone's hand tenderly feeling my hot head and limbs i had suffered several fevers between bagamoyo and Nyamnyambe without anything or anybody to relieve me of the tedious racking headache and pain or to illuminate the dark and gloomy prospect which must necessarily surround the bedside of the sick and solitary traveller but though this fever having enjoyed immunity from it for three months was more severe than usual i did not much regret its occurrence since i became the recipient of the very tender and fatherly kindness of the good man whose companion i now found myself the next morning having recovered slightly from the fever when Mukama came with a present of an ox, a sheep, and a goat, I was able to attend to the answers which he gave to the questions about the Rusizi River and the head of the lake. The ever-cheerful and enthusiastic Mguana was there also, and he was not a whit abashed when, through him, the chief told us that the Rusizi, joined by the Ruanda or Luanda, at a distance of two days' journey by water, or one day by land from the head of the lake, flowed into the lake thus our hopes excited somewhat by the positive and repeated assurances that the river flowed out away towards caragua collapsed as speedily as they were raised we paid mukamba the honga consisting of nine dotai and nine fundo of samsam lenghongyo muzurio nzigi the printed handkerchiefs which i had in abundance at unyanyabe would have gone well here 
After receiving his present, the chief introduced his son, a tall youth of eighteen or thereabouts, to the doctor as a would-be son of the doctor. But with a good-natured laugh, the doctor scouted all such relationship with him, as it was instituted only for the purpose of drawing more cloth out of him. Mukamba took it in good part, and did not insist on getting more. Our second evening at Mukamba's, Susi, the doctor's servant, got gloriously drunk, through the chief's liberal and profuse gifts of pombe. Just at dawn, neat morning, I was awakened by hearing several sharp, crack-like sounds. I listened, and I found the noise was in our hut. It was caused by the doctor, who, towards midnight, had felt someone come and lie down by his side on the same bed, and thinking it was me, he had kindly made room, and laid down on the edge of the bed. But in the morning, feeling rather cold, he had been thoroughly awakened, and on rising on his elbow to see who his bedfellow was, discovered, to his great astonishment, that it was no other than his black servant, Susie, who, taking possession of his blankets, and folding them about himself, most selfishly, was occupying almost the whole bed. The doctor, with that gentleness characteristic of him, instead of taking a rod, had contented himself with slapping Susie on the back, saying, "'Get up, Susie, will you? You are in my bed.' How dare you, sir, get drunk in this way, after I have told you so often not to. Get up, won't you? Take that, and that, and that. Still Susie slept and grunted. So the slapping continued until even Susie's thick hide began to feel it. He was thoroughly awakened to the sense of his want of devotion and sympathy for his master in the usurping of even his master's bed. Susie looked very much crestfallen after this expose of his infirmity before the little master, as I was called. The next day at dusk, Mukama came to bid us a good-bye, and requested that as soon as we reached his brother Ruhinga, whose country was at the head of the lake, we should send our canoe back for him, and that in the meanwhile we should leave two of our men with him, with their guns, to help defend him in case Warumashiyana should attack him as soon as we were gone. We embarked and pulled across. In nine hours we had arrived at the head of the lake Mugihua, the country of Ruhinga, Mukamba's elder brother, and looking back to where we had come from, we perceived that we had made a diagonal cut across from south-east to north-west, instead of having made a direct east and west course, or in other words, from Mugiri, which was at least ten miles from the northernmost point of the eastern shore, we had come to Mugihewa, situated at the northernmost point of the western shore. Had we continued along the eastern shore, and so rounded the northern side of the lake, we should have passed by Mukanagi, the country of Waruma Shenya, and Usubura and Simba, his ally and friend. But by making a diagonal course, as just described, we had arrived at the extreme head of the lake without any difficulty. The country in which we now found ourselves, Mugahewa, is situated in the delta of the Rusizi River. It is an extremely flat country, the highest part of which is not ten feet above the lake, with numerous depressions in it overgrown with the rankest of matet grass and the tallest of papyrus, and pond-like hollows filled with stagnant water which emit malaria wholesale. Large herds of cattle are reared on it, for where the ground is not covered with marshy plants it produces rich, sweet grass. The sheep and goats, especially the former, are always in good condition, and though they are not to be compared with English or American sheep, they are the finest I have seen in Africa. Numerous villages are seen on this land because the intervening spaces are not occupied with the rank and luxuriant jungle common in other parts of Africa. Were it not for the Euphorbia colqual of Abyssinia, which some chief has caused to be planted as a defense around the villages, one might see from one end of the Mugihewa to the other. The waters along the head of the lake 
from the western to the eastern shores swarm with crocodiles. From the banks I counted ten heads of crocodiles, and the Rusizi, we were told, was full of them. Ruhinga, who came to see us soon after we had taken up our quarters in his village, was a most amiable man, who always contrived to see something that excited his risibility. The older by five or six years, he said he was a hundred years old, than Mukamba, he was not half so dignified, nor regarded with so much admiration by his people or his younger brother. Ruhinga had a better knowledge, however, of the country than Mukamba, and was able to impart his knowledge of the country intelligently. After he had done the honours as chief to us, presiding us with an ox and a sheep, milk and honey, we were not backward in endeavouring to elicit as much information as possible out of him. The summary of the information derived from Ruhinga may be stated as follows. The country bordering the head of the lake from Urundi proper, on the eastern shore, to Uvira on the western, is divided into the following district. First, Mugiri, governed by Mukamba, through which issued into the lake the small rivers of Mugiri and Mpanda. Second, Mukanigi, governed by Warumashanya, which occupied the whole of the northeastern head of the lake, through which issued into the lake the small rivers of Karindwa and Mugerawa Kanigi. Third, on the eastern half of the district, at the head of the lake, was Usumbura, governed by Simve, ally and friend of Warumashanya, extending to the eastern bank of the Rusizi. Fourth, commencing from the western bank of the Rusizi to the extreme northwestern head of the lake, was Mugehewa, Rihinga's country. Fifth, from Uvira on the west, running north past Mugehewa and overlapping it on the north side as far as the hills of Chamati, was Ruwenga, also a country governed by Mukamba. Beyond Ruwenga, from the hills of Chamati to the Rwanda River, was the country of Chamati. West of Ruwenga, comprising all the mountains for two days' journey in that direction, was Uashi. These are the smaller subdivisions of what is commonly known as Ruwenga and Usigi. Ruwenga comprises the countries of Ruwenga and Mugehewa, Usigi, the countries of Usumbura, Makanigi, and Mugiri. But all these countries are only part and parcel of Urundi, which comprises all that country bordering the lake from Umshala River, on the eastern shore, to Uvara, on the western, extending over ten days' journey direct north from the head of the lake, and one month in a northeastern direction to Murukuku, the capital of Umwetsi, sultan of all Urundi. Direct north of Urundi is Rwanda, also a very large country. End of chapter 13, part 2